Our first reading this evening comes from the book of Genesis, the third chapter, beginning at the first verse. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. O Lord, have mercy on us. The epistle reading comes from Paul's letter to the church in Rome, the fifth chapter. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, 
leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. O Lord, have mercy on us. The Holy Gospel comes to us according to St. Luke, the first chapter. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the same, and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who is called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. O Lord, have mercy on us. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Have you noticed how our society today is obsessed with identity? Not necessarily your heritage and genealogy, though that does factor in when it's convenient, but with self-identity, declaring that you are something even when you clearly are not and demanding that others play along. Boys say they're girls, girls say they're boys, men actually say they're cats, and woe be unto anyone who might say otherwise. In the eyes of our woke culture, I could declare myself to be a five foot two women's gymnastics silver medalist from the 1951 Games, and there would be those who would applaud my bravery and insist that everyone else do the same. In our messed up world today, You get to decide who you are. You get to define yourself. You determine your own identity. But that's not how it works. You were made a certain way. And no matter how that makes you feel, that's you. You don't get to declare that you are what you really aren't and force the world to say it too. You're not God. But as we've seen in our Advent services... Even God doesn't do that. When God came to us in the flesh, it wasn't just through a declaration. He didn't just say, hey, I'm a guy now, okay? It was through a line, a family, an established genealogy. Jesus came with history, with ancestors, with baggage. He didn't simply appear, but he was born of an earthly family whose roots run very, very deep. Tonight, at the end of our Advent services, we go to the beginning, the very beginning. 
Well, not quite the very beginning, but about six days shy of it. In Luke's genealogy, he traces the generations of Jesus backward, declaring each generation to be the son of the previous name. And he does this for 77 generations, taking the reader all the way back to the first man, declaring that each of these 77 generations, including Jesus, is the son of Adam. And he's right. Adam was the first man, created by God in the Garden of Eden. He and his wife Eve are the parents of all mankind. All our genetics, all our traits, all our genealogies can be traced back to Adam. We all share the same origin, the same primary ancestor. And sadly, we all share in Adam's sin as well. As you heard Genesis 3, the account of Adam and Eve's fall into sin, did you ask yourself, why? Why would they listen to Satan? Why would they want more than what God had given them? Why were they hanging out by the one tree that God said, don't eat from it? Why would they break the one very simple rule, reject God's paradise, and mess everything up for every single person in all of history? Why? Well, maybe you can answer that question with another question. Why do you? Why do you turn away from God's clear word and think you can do better? Why do you reject God's grace and seek after the filth of the world? Why do you insist on sinning again and again and messing everything up? Sadly, I don't have an answer for those questions in my own life. But I think we can cut Adam and Eve a little bit of slack and understand how easy it is to fall into sin. But as we look at Adam, it's not just about laying the blame at someone's feet. Tonight is not a declaration that since Adam sinned first, you're not really responsible. Tonight's not just about Adam's mistake, but about God's amazing grace. When Adam sinned, God had every right to simply end his existence. I gave you one rule, you couldn't do it, you're done. God had made the world perfect and without sin. So when Adam became sin, he didn't belong there anymore. God could have simply wiped him out. He would have been just to do so, and he could have been done with it all. It would have saved him an awful lot of headache. But that's not what God did. Instead, from the moment that sin entered into the world, God proclaimed grace and forgiveness. He promised that mankind would not get what it deserved, but rather it would be redeemed. Immediately, as sin entered into the world, God promised a Savior, the Messiah. And already here, thousands of years before Jesus was born, God is promising that he would come through an earthly line. Hear the promise. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, Cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Now this is more than just a curse laid upon Satan. 
This is the gospel of Jesus Christ, the first prophecy of his arrival to save us from our sins. And already here, near the very beginning of time, we see so much in the words of God. We see that the Messiah is going to suffer as his heel is bruised or crushed, but that in doing so, he will crush the head of Satan, utterly destroying and humiliating him. We also have the virgin birth foretold, as God here refers to someone as the seed or offspring of a woman. All other genealogies follow the male bloodline, as we see in Luke, where he follows the sons. But here, and nowhere but here, we have offspring not of a man, but of a woman. And yet, in that very proclamation, in the proclamation of the, of the miraculous birth of Jesus, we also have the prophecy that the Messiah will come through a family, through the offspring of Adam and Eve. The promised Savior, Jesus, will be fully man, fully incarnate, with a full history and full genealogy. He would not simply appear in a flash of light or drop down out of the sky with a thunderclap. He would be born, when the time was perfect, of an earthly family, of sinners, of regular old people, just like all of us were. And this was important, because he would be born to fully stand in our place. You know, when my son Paul plays a basketball game, the coach can't turn to me and say, Redditch, get in there and take the place of your son. We're not the same. And honestly, his team's much better with Paul in the game, not me. But the point here is, to stand in someone's place, you have to be like them in just about every regard. God is not man, and man is not God. They are not interchangeable. And so to truly stand in our place, to be our real substitute, God became man. He took on not just our flesh, but our family, our bloodline, our history, so that he could stand fully in our place. He would stand where we stand and face the temptation to sin, to deny God's way, to do things easier and quicker, to listen to the silky voice of the devil tell him, don't you see how much better this is? He would stand in our place and experience the same suffering that we do, the emotional ups and downs of this world, the pain of betrayal and ingratitude, the shame of mockery and hatred, the pain that this sinful world inflicts upon each and every one of us. He would take our place fully, and experience physical sorrows, the pain and suffering of being beaten, being scourged, being crucified. He would stand in our place completely, even unto death, as he, immortal God, died upon the cross, fully giving up his life, just as we ourselves will someday. Jesus was born into our flesh and experienced everything we do, standing fully in our place in this world. But more important than even that, he would stand in our place beneath the wrath of God, something that he couldn't do if he wasn't really one of us. Sin, it's not just something that God kind of wrings his hands over and goes, oh, oh, I don't like it when they do those things. 
sin brings about God's anger, his righteous wrath. He is God, and he punishes the disobedience of sin. He despises it. He removes it from his holy presence. And so we who are sinful by nature, who are the embodiment of sin and rebellion, we rightly deserve the holy wrath of God to be poured out into our wretched lives. But instead, Jesus stepped into our place. He was perfect and without sin, but he took upon himself every drop of our iniquity and wickedness. He was born into our flesh to be one of us, to stand in our place, to offer himself as a substitute, the propitiation of our sin. He became man to suffer the righteous wrath of God that should have been ours. As he hung upon the cross, the physical pain was excruciating, but it was nothing compared to the emotional, the spiritual pain. As God turned his back on his only begotten beloved son, who had become the embodiment of sin in our place. He became us to save us. And the only way he could spare us from God's wrath was to take it all upon himself, to stand fully in our place and shield us from the punishment that should have been ours forever. Were he not fully man, born into our flesh like we are, he could not have stood in our place, could not have been our substitute. And so he came to us through a bloodline from the very beginning, born of a long line of both sinners and believers, wretches and pillars of the faith, just as each of us are. This baby in the manger has an ancestry, has a history, has a genealogy just like we do because he is truly man, is fully one of us. And now that he is born, now that he has stood in our place, now that he has paid our penalty in full, died and risen again from the grave, he continues to dwell with us, to receive us as his family. He's not the distant, far-off God that we simply can't approach. He hasn't abandoned his humanity and shed his relationship with us. He is not ashamed to call us brothers and sisters to be united with him in the waters of baptism, to deliver to us his true flesh and blood in the Lord's Supper. He dwells with us in our daily lives, strengthening us, knowing what we face, giving us his peace. He doesn't do that infuriating nodding of, oh, I totally get what you're going through, when he actually has no idea. He's been there. He's faced it all. He's felt it all. He has suffered it all. Because he is Jesus, the son of Adam. The Messiah promised to be born of woman from the moment sin entered into the world. He is our Savior who crushes Satan's head and redeems us from sin and death. Jesus, the son of Adam, is fully man. The substitutionary sacrifice who died for your sin and gives you his righteousness in exchange. And by his cross alone. By his empty tomb alone, you are forgiven of every one of your sins, and eternal life in heaven is yours. To God alone be all glory, now and forever. Amen.